This is a shock podcast. Shock. Due to the discussions of murder, sexual activities and assault, listener discretion is advised, especially those under 13. The world is full of dangers and mysteries. Among them are the notorious serial killers who have terrorized and fascinated people for decades. How did they commit their crimes? How were they caught? But most importantly, what were their motives? Ah! Can You Solve It is a podcast that talks about notorious serial killers. This is Irdina Ishaq, your host for the series. Each week, you will join me in sharing stories of global cases that had happened, not to encourage murder, but to discuss ways on how it could have been better or much even prevented the murder. another day at the studio welcome back i'm irdina isha and in today's episode we will be sharing the crimes of dr harold shipman who was known as the angel of death or simply dr death in which he had been accused of killing 15 elderly patients by administering lethal doses of controlled painkillers like diamorphine. As usual, we have Iswin. Iswin is in the studio with Erdina. This is Can You Solve It? So be sure to tune in till the end to see if you can guess the killer's motives right. Now, let's kickstart the story. Harold Shipman, or familiarly known as Fred Shipman to close family members, he was born in Nottingham in 1946 and he was a promising student throughout school and excelled in sports, particularly rugby. However, his life changed at 17 years old. That year, his mother Vera, someone Shipman was really close with. Yeah. She was diagnosed with lung cancer, and while she was there dying in the hospital, Shipman closely observed how the doctor eased her suffering by administering morphine to her. Now, after his mother died, Shipman went on to marry his wife, Primrose May Oxtoby, while studying medicine at Leeds Uni Medical School. Mm-hmm. And the pair had four children together. And when he graduated from medical school in 1970, he quickly moved up the ranks and became a general practitioner at a medical center in West Yorkshire. But then he started to find trouble with the law in 1976. You see, Shipman was found to have forged prescriptions for Demerol, which is an opioid used to treat severe pain. And he was prescribing this for himself. And he eventually became addicted to the medication. So he got fined, fired from his job, and then required to attend a rehabilitation clinic in York. But then, Iswin, he quickly got back on his feet and he returned to work at Donnybrook Medical Center in 1977. And he spent the next 15 years of his career here before setting up a one-man practice in 1993. So he must be really good because he developed a reputation among his patients and in his community as a helpful physician. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you were fined for for something for being addicted, but then you can easily, you know, have your own thing, a one-man practice. Yeah. He must be really good. But then, according to investigators, 
Shipman would stop and restart his killing spree many times throughout his decades of terror. However, his method for murder has always remained the same, and his target group would be vulnerable individuals, with approximately 171 female and 44 men, with his older victim being... Wow, that's... What's probably the largest number of people murdered yeah. in this podcast so far. Yes, yes. And his older victim being 93-year-old Ann Cooper and his youngest was the 41-year-old Peter Lewis. And he would always administer a lethal dose of diamorphine and either watch them die or send them home to perish. In 1998, the people in the Hyde community, they became suspicious of the number of shipments patients dying. Mm. I mean, 250 people altogether. Neighbouring medical practice, they further discovered that shipments death rate were almost 10 times higher than their own and remember how i said like oh he must be really good at his job yeah so the thing is he was described as a hard-working doctor who enjoyed the trust of patients and colleagues alike but his reputation with the junior staff that was not so much true being described as an arrogant man with his junior staff there were multiple occasions where you know people had suspected him of don't you like realize all his patients died of the same death mm-hmm. all of them like had the same background you know old people shipmen did occasionally come under scrutiny like i mentioned in 1985 a number of shipmen's colleagues were disturbed to find similarities in the deaths of a number of shipmen's patients who also appeared to be dying at a suspiciously high rate most of them were fully clothed and usually they were sitting up or reclining on a settee. Like that's that's the position of how they you died. Would die. Okay. Yeah. The thing is, there was a covered investigation followed, but then shipment was cleared because it appeared that his records were in order. Mm. So he made sure that everything was in track. You know, like mm. whatever he did, it was in the records. Yeah. But little did they know at the time, shipment he himself had altered much of his paperwork to avoid detection. How was he caught, Iswin? Because you said just now other medical practitioners were suspicious. Okay. In 1998, he was finally caught due to his own arrogance and greed. Hmm. See, in June 1998, he had overplayed his hand when he injected a healthy 81-year-old patient named Kathleen Grundy with a lethal dose of morphine. So you see, Grundy here, she was the former mayor of Hyde and a wealthy Uh, woman. When she died suddenly, her daughter Angela Woodruff was shocked though shipmen tried to convince her like there was no need for an autopsy. But then Angela, she became even more suspicious after it became known that Grundy, her mother, her late mother, had left her entire fortune which was around 386,000 pounds to shipment in her will and like whoa whoa this, this is very suspicious yeah, that's really odd. Where would you do that? Where would you give that to your doctor? Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. And then in August of that same year, Grundy's body was exhumed and the autopsy proved that she had traces of morphine in her system. Hmm. So a further investigation showed that Grundy's forged will had been written on the brother typewriter. So it's a brand like... Oh, yes, yes. And police had uncovered that in Shipman's possession. Mm. And Shipman was soon arrested and his entire history of shocking criminal acts came to light after. And he was ultimately convicted of 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery. And he died, Iswin, in 2004 by hanging himself in his jail cell. Was there a suicide note? There was not a suicide note. 
Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, but what I heard was that he wanted to hang himself so that if he hung himself before he reached the age of a certain number, then his wife could get like a the higher pension yeah pension. Yeah. So yeah, that was the case. Like he wanted his wife to get a higher pension. Not good reason, but like okay. One thing to note: the wife has been loyal throughout oh, the journey. Actually, yeah. so it was said that all throughout his trials, his wife was there. Like they would, you know, display public affections, like kids hug whatever even though like at the time he was accused of being a murderer so like pe- people ridiculed her like the wife of a murderer like she was trying to deny reality of the fact that you know her husband yeah could possibly be a murderer murderer so the question here comes down to the motives I actually laid out like a big hint before I mentioned earlier that his mother had passed away when he was 17, right? So the motives, though unclear, there were actually like lots of reasonings that were given and some had speculated that he may have been seeking to avenge the death of his mother. Oh, by randomly killing his patients? I mean, I don't know, but he grew up seeing how, you know, that injection helped ease his mother's pain. He was called the angel of death, so like, not sure. I'm not sure what he's trying to play. I think I get it. It's a theory. Possibly, because all of these people, they're all like above 40. They all have a certain pain, so by killing them, he's easing them of their pain. Probably. Could be Probably, yeah. And then there are also some others, by the way, Iswin, that suggest that maybe he's practicing euthanasia, like removing from the population older people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who might yeah. have otherwise become a burden to the healthcare system. Yeah. I'm not really That's sure. That's the thing like, that people do too. It's like they don't believe that old people should be alive because they're not really contributing back to society. Oh, damn. Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then again, and to like add with my earlier point, the thing is, when Harold Shipman's murders were first exposed, much was made of the fact that he was just so normal. So normal. However, you know, there's this like significant detail from Shipman's early life which was related to his mother, Vera. See, Harold, he was the favourite child of his domineering mother which allowed her to instill a sense of superiority in him. It was before Shipman was fully grown where Vera was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and throughout her care, Shipman reportedly witnessed firsthand the effect of the strong painkillers used to ease her suffering, most notably morphine, and Vera died at the age of 43 only. Yeah, so young. So young, and Shipman himself was only 17 years old. So, there was this guy, his Mark Oliver, he made a point, you know, it seems too much of a coincidence that her son should grow up to kill so many by injecting them with morphine for this not to be of some importance because it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it must it must really have in- impacted him. It's interesting. So this is a little bit different, but there's a show on Netflix called Our Father. Have you heard about that? No. Okay, so this fertility doctor was helping people get them pregnant okay maybe I've heard of it yeah and then he actually used his own sperm oh yeah crazy eh yes but like how many how many kids he have I don't think they've fully discovered it I mean imagine marrying someone and realizing that that someone is actually your sibling you know that he's actually it's not legally wrong it's not legally it's not wrong like he's 
not in trouble Shoot. for that crazy yeah but anyway this is not related but it's interesting how doctors just take advantage of their patients because we think our doctors would know best yeah we shouldn't really put that much trust into <laughs> our doctor especially since this is someone who it's a thing in the UK where they're like they have like family doctors I have a feeling mm-hmm. this guy is like a family yeah, doctor yeah. physician yeah like it's for, very private at all of this family maybe they're like really they've known that they've struggling for a long, long time and they're like you know what to ease your pain like how his mom was going through right mm. he's like i must might as well just make it easier for you damn crazy but you don't know okay so what do you think are the key takeaways here like what could we learn from the story doctors eh i, mean, I can't say we can't trust our doctors Hmm. But I think one thing here is to really know our diagnosis. You know, whatever health issues that we have, we really have to know that. And for our family members too, like, say if your mom is ill, yeah. you got to know all the things that she's ill for, like her Medication. sickness, what it is, yes. Yeah. Medications, what she's been given. So it's really important to know that. Like in this case, Angela, she's very conscious. Like she knows when something is up. She knows yeah. that her mother is healthy. And soon enough, she found out that okay, this actually involves something bigger when her will was forged, yada yada. So, thing is, know your sickness, guys. A doctor doesn't necessarily knows what's best, especially if that doctor is a stranger. I don't know if you know this, Dina, but in Malaysia, mm-hmm. doctors like to give antibiotics. Oh, okay. I think it's nowadays, it's like something that is more talked about. Whereas growing up, it's like people always ask if you're ill, like, oh, do you get antibiotics, yeah, right? Yeah. But then now, like, I think younger people don't really rely on it anymore because they know that they shouldn't be taking antibiotics. And I mean, not much. for all sicknesses. No, not for all. Just yeah. like, vi- so if you have like an infection, Yes, get antibiotics. You have no choice. You have to use antibiotics. Understand the purpose of those medications. Yeah. Like, even if the doctor prescribe it to you, try to understand what's his purpose because sometimes they just want to charge you more money. True. That's why some doctors just like, okay, first of all, consultation is already like, what? I don't know, quality is like 80, 60, like 60, 80. And it's med- expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, and medication itself can get up to 200. You're like, you don't really need half of it. Honestly, you don't need half of it. Really Google, because like, actually, honestly, Kementerian Kesihatan's website on like, medication and explaining the purpose of it is quite good. The design is old, but the information is gold. And if... <laughs> If not, like NHS, the UK website is also really good. They update it quite often. Or ask your doctor friends, like, do they know any website that they can rely on that's not like the WebMD? So yeah, understand the impact of your medication because you don't need all of it. Yeah, sometimes you already spend money. Be careful because your doctor, as much as they are supposed to be your doctor, but they don't really they have... They might just scam you. Oh yeah, and if anyone are interested in like pharmaceutical, there's a show called Painkiller on Netflix also and it's about how doctors actually all about money it's all about business apparently it's all about money that's the reality of it that's why big pharma is like rolling in cash they know how to convince the doctors to sell the right medication to people this is a conspiracy theory that I will not go into. But yes, understand the impact. But yes, Isuin, you you made a really good point, by the way. Because my dad, I mean, when I grew up, he always told me to like not simply take medications. Same, yeah. My mom wouldn't let me take Panadol randomly. She's like, if you're really ill, yeah, take yeah. It. Because he himself, he had to take painkiller or something, but like he experienced some side effects which were not good. Yeah, just do your research. Mm. Just do your research and don't heavily rely on medicine that you don't need 
Exactly. In the UK, my mom was saying that like when my sister was growing up, the only thing that they would give for like kids if they're ill mm-hmm. is like carpal. It's like this cough medicine. Oh. It's I don't know what's the equivalent here. Like the the black what is a black medicine that's like in the bottle? Oh yeah, I know. I hate that. Literally like it's the equivalent of that. That's all you need to cure your like internal illness. Like I don't mean like it's like a cut or whatever. I meant like, <laughs> like if you if you have a fever, you don't need more. You just need that. Or back then in the 50s, you actually don't even need meds. You just need What do you need? To go out and live your day is uh it's the best way is to just keep active. But then the risk is spreading it. Actually, yeah. that's most really risk. But no, again, I should put a claim. We're not an expert. This is based <laughs> on what I've read, what I've heard. You are very much like my dad, Iswin. Why a traditionalist fighter? All right, and that's all for now, peeps. But there will always be more. So next week, you will be listening to us again for sure. So hit the subscribe button and share this on every platform you're on. Thank you everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll talk to you soon.